From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, Mike Lieberman, Square2 host of What's Wrong With Revenue. Today, I'm here for episode 13 of What's Wrong With Revenue, and this has all to do with how you sort through data and uncover insights to inform your action plan. Uh, Eric, how are you? How was your holiday? It was not long enough. Agreed. I could have used a couple more days off for sure, but it sure was fun hanging out with the family at home, right? Absolutely. I hope all of our uh, listeners had a great holiday. We have a lot to be thankful for. Awesome. So a little bit of housekeeping like normal. Check out the show on YouTube. Subscribe to it. Like it. Provide us comments. Check out the show on all your favorite podcast platforms. Write a review. Subscribe to it. Like it. Share your comments. And you can always submit questions and check out the show on our website at What's Wrong With Revenue at the bottom in the footer. Hop over there. All the episodes are there for your viewing pleasure. So today, as I said, we're going to talk about the plethora of data available to marketers and, and revenue people today. And one of the issues with the sheer volume of data is what do we do with it? How do we analyze it? How do we use it to uncover intelligence? How do we then respond to, to those insights and really drive a much more data-driven sales and marketing plan to improve revenue. That's why we're here, right? Trying to figure out some of the things that are contributing to a lack of revenue growth across our companies. And one of the things we found is no matter how sophisticated or unsophisticated that people we talk to are, there's just too much data for them to really make heads or tails of it. Even if you're using a marketing automation platform, if you're using Google Analytics or point solutions, if you have a CRM, Sometimes there's just, people just don't always know where to look, what to look at, how to look at it in a way that makes it really productive and useful so that you can learn something from it and inform your decisions going forward. So we're going to talk a little bit today about how you make sure your data is clean and accurate, because we do hear from a lot of people who don't feel like the data is a real representation of what's going on in their company. That's a whole other issue that we can cover a little bit today. We'll talk about what skill sets you need to interpret the data, because honestly, that's a pretty tricky skill set. Uh, no matter how long you've been in marketing, if you haven't spent a lot of time with the data, it might be difficult to uncover the insights. How to use those insights to inform your action plan, what those action plans might look like, and how the organization kind of cross-functionally needs to get intimate with that data so that everybody's making really smart decisions about what they should be doing, what they should be doing. And we do have some good questions that have been submitted. So we'll cover those today too. 
and hopefully we'll get into our post Thanksgiving jag here and run a couple of really great shows for you guys in December before we break for the holidays at the end of the month. Eric, any comments you want to add to our show today? No, I love a good data conversation. Right. All right. So let's just start at the top, right? When we used to talk to prospects a couple of years ago and we would ask them about data, it was a very light conversation. How many email addresses do you have? They would tell us and we'd be like, okay, great, M moving on. But today our conversations with clients around data is much more detailed oriented and has some very specific objectives. And honestly, the answers we get are pretty startling. Um, I'm, I'm curious as to your perspective, but I can't remember a prospect we've talked to recently who told us their data was in great condition. It was clean, it was segmented, it was ready to go. Uh, that's not usually the response we typically get from people. More often than not, it's, well, it's not in too good shape. We haven't really segmented it. We haven't paid attention to it. We bought lists we haven't used. Um, what do you think's causing that? Why do you think most people have this issue with their data? Well, the number one thing is, is that there's no box. There's no box to write a person's name in on an organizational chart that's data owner. It's just something peripheral to the day-to-day -day activities that we do in sales and marketing. We have a database. We assume that, right? But when you start out, the data is perfectly clean. No need for someone's name to be in a box of who's assigned to the data. And then what typically happens is a year or two goes by and they say, you know, I blocked out two hours on Thursday. We're all going to look at the data. We're trying to try to clean it up a little bit. That's where, you know, responsibility and accountability for the database has to come into play. I think more, think more recently, people have been understanding that bad data in means bad results out, and they are looking at data as a area of improvement. The second part or third, I don't know what I'm up to, is that data cleansing is damn boring. I'm going to go through, I'm one by one, I'm going to figure it out, I'm going to run some lists, I'm going to try to match them up with other lists. There's nothing sexy about data cleaning. So it becomes a low, low, low priority, even though it's a super high payoff activity when done correctly. So I think with those three reasons or two, I can't remember how many I started with, uh, you know, nobody's taking care of it until it becomes mission critical. It's like, oh yeah, we have that closet in the back where we throw stuff that we don't know where else to put it. And then once a year, you're like, I can't close the door anymore. We got to get in there and clean it out. But then starting the next day, people start putting junk in there again. It's the same thing with data. It's not an ongoing system or process that how we keep it clean and how we organize it. Yeah, and generally the people responsible for this are the marketing people. And I don't know which side of the brain is creative. Do you know, is it left or right? Uh, left is created, right? Right, so I think so. So if they're left brain oriented because they're generally more creative, then the whole concept of data is not super intuitive to them, right? They're much more interested in writing stuff and designing stuff and, you know. Well, the passion of ones are- the passionate ones are looking to generate leads. So how do you say to your boss, sorry, boss, I couldn't generate leads today because I was cleaning the data. Like it doesn't work. Well, and no one, uh, to your earlier point, no one really prioritizes the data piece of it. But it is interesting that more people are noticing that their data is not in good shape. I think that's probably a positive sign that, again, under what's wrong with revenue, it could completely be the data. I mean, we're not even out of the first topic yet. We may have uncovered a significant issue with why you're not 
generating more leads or not closing more leads is because the data in your database is actually not too uh, accurate. Um, so I've someone has to take- People uh, magnify it by buying lists, throwing them into their database, not correctly segmenting it. And then one thing leads to another. I got bad names that I bought. I got bad names that are eroding over time. I got bad names coming in because bots are filling stuff out on forms on my website. It's a real compounding effect also. Right. So someone needs to pay attention to it. It needs to be part of a regular workflow, meaning every quarter we clean up our database or every month I'm removing uh, inaccurate contacts or old companies or whatever, whatever your process is going to be. But you need a process to keep the data current, keep it clean and keep it complete. So those are usually the three elements of a data project that you might want to consider how complete is it how current is it and how accurate is it right so you got to pay some attention to this if you want um the next part of it to be uh this this insights issue again if your data is not accurate pretty much everything falls apart after that your dashboards aren't accurate your insights aren't accurate people start questioning the insights and the direction, like it falls apart pretty quickly. So I don't think we can emphasize enough how important this data piece is. And again, I'm very encouraged actually, and really kind of surprised at how many of our prospects and clients have asked us to start with the data and really make sure our data is clean and make sure it's accurate, make sure it's set up properly in, in our CRM and in our marketing database that we can execute the campaigns correctly. And this is only going to get worse. Uh, I, I wrote a blog article a couple of days ago about how personalization is, is going to be critical going forward. You're not going to be doing one-to-many campaigns too frequently anymore. You're going to be doing really one-to-one -one or one-to-few campaigns. And if you don't have the right names and you don't have the right company, the, the, the complete company name or the correct company name, you don't know what industry they're in. You don't know what titles people have. Your, your, your marketing is really going to be limited in terms of its ability to be effective. So, you know, under this conversation today around, it was really uncovering insights, but data, you can't uncover insights without good data. So I think one of the takeaways today should be to look at your data with a pretty close microscope and really like screen some records. I mean, honestly, you can't look at it superficially you really have to go in and look at some records and compare some records and look how many duplicates you have and how complete are they to get a real good picture of what kind of project you're looking at here and then just tackle it right this is actually a good year to a good time of year to tackle it if you can spend a couple of weeks trying to clean it up you could really hit 2022 with a nice clean database it's properly segmented that has all the pieces in it and really provide some nice upgrades to at least your marketing campaigns and probably your sales outreach also let me add one other thing, Mike, that going into 2022, once you clean up the database, just like we clean out the closet once a year, we should also put some processes and systems in place, uh, a playbook of sorts on how we handle data on a daily basis. So we don't enter it in unless we have the full data information. Or if we don't have the full data information on Thursdays between 9 and 10, we supplement the database. Like some kind of systematic approach to data will then prevent it from eroding as quickly as it has in the past. Just like we don't put anything into that back supply closet unless it fills these uh, definitions or roles. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And even some of the newer CRMs are actually 
pretty good at putting data in in a consistent way. Like HubSpot, for example, will populate some data records for you and at least it'll be consistent, right? They're gonna put you know, the, the name that they have and the contact that they have in the same way every single time. And then you just really have to teach your reps not to go in and, and mess that up at all. And again, that's more of like a training and a playbook issue than it is anything else. So, you know, if you're relying on your reps to enter data, that's where you run into a lot of issues. That's where you get dirty data, inconsistent data, partially completed data. Oh, I didn't know what it was, so I left it blank. Like you, you can't really have that. You need a system to kind of backfill that, that data and make sure it's complete and accurate. So that's a pretty good takeaway right off the gate, uh, right out of the gate. Uh, for wrapping up this year and going into next year is put some systems uh, and processes in place to make sure your data is accurate, complete, and uh, current before you get too deep into some of the marketing we're going to be talking about. Awesome. Let's do a quick question here, and then we'll keep powering through this. So um, let me find one that's related to what we we're talking about. So Eric, um, we talked about who should be responsible for this. So here's a question from Larry in South Carolina, and he specifically wants to know who should be respons responsible for this. So I know we talked about it a little bit, but let's stretch the answer into the revenue operations conversation, because that has been a little bit of a thread from show to show, at least the past couple of shows. So under the umbrella of revenue operations, is this something that would fit in to that. So, you know, if I didn't want to assign my marketing person to this and I didn't know who else to assign this, would this be a, 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 an activity that would fall into revenue operations? I mean, it could, uh, you know, I, I, I could, I could see the connection between the revenue ops person who's doing basically operational things that that could apply to a database management program as well. But I'm not sure because like you said, I didn't get into revenue ops to clean databases, right? I'm sorry, I'm speaking as the revenue ops person and revenue ops people are mission critical because if the whole system isn't running, then nobody could get the information or use the tools that we've already paid for. So I guess it could go there. I'm thinking that it might be more of an outsource thing. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at skill sets, right? and and uh, what people are comfortable doing. We already talked about the marketing people. I think everyone admit they're really the wrong people to be dealing with data, right? It's just not really their skill set. The, the, the revenue ops people or the marketing ops people, they are a little more process and systems oriented. They are generally a little more technology oriented. So it probably is better suited for them than the marketing people. Now you might not ha have a choice. So if you don't have any ops people, then marketing is who's going to get to do this. But if you do, or to Eric's point, if you're looking for some outside resources to help with a project like this, then I think someone with a marketing operations or a revenue operations background is probably going to have more experience, be more comfortable in the technology, be more suited for putting the process in place to keep everything clean and organizing it to begin with. You know, the idea of, needing good data to produce dashboards and uncover insights, that is 100% a revenue or marketing operations uh, responsibility. So I, I'd probably tell you, Larry, that you know, if you can push towards an operations person for revenue or even marketing, this is probably gonna be closer to something they're comfortable doing than your general marketing campaign person or your marketing person out of school um, or in job number two. So 
That's I, kind I of reframe I, my answer, if you don't mind, Mike. I think that you're oh, yeah, right. sure. Go ahead. Reframing is encouraged here on the show. Right. Because now that you said that, I'm thinking, you know, from a, an ongoing keeping it clean perspective, the ops person makes sense. I was thinking more along the lines of, hey, Charlie, get in this back room and clean this database for the next three weeks, which obviously is like needles in your eyes. Right. So I think that for the initial cleanup project, maybe getting a little help and then setting the right parameters and then having the ops people keep it clean would probably be the best source because we've gone through many data cleaning exercises and it's painful. Yeah, um, I wanna move on to some other topics because we've got a lot of questions here. But I also think that today when you're talking about data cleaning, I think it's a little more automated, right? I mean, I think you'd be exporting your database, you know, bouncing it up against another database, appending data to it, you know, um, auto, automating the cleaning of it. So. I think it's, again, that's why I think the ops person would be good at this. A lot of them probably have done something like this or similar things like this before. Even the segmentation, right? Like, okay, we want to cut it up by industry. We want to cut it up by role. Like, let's make sure all those fields are populated. If they're not, let's get them populated in, a, in an automated way. Um, also, if you're going to, if, if you're going to use this, then you have to make sure all your field, this is probably what you're referring to, the fields do have to be conform to certain norms. Like if you're putting in ABC company LLC or ABC company Inc, that's where you might need someone to look at those records and say, hey, we're going with Inc and not LLC. And again, HubSpot does a really good job. They're constantly presenting, hey, you have duplicate records. Someone needs to look at this and just pick which one is the main record. And then they merge the two together. So again, there's some technologies that make this a little easier than maybe it was a couple of years ago. All right. So let's now graduate from data. Our data is clean and uh, the dashboards are set up and someone is responsible for looking at the performance of the company's marketing and sales and maybe even their customer service execution. So this is where I also think companies run into trouble. So what kind of skill sets do you think are necessary for someone to be able to analyze this data and pull out of it some really insightful tidbits that can be used for a improvement plan or an optimization plan or an action plan going forward. You have any thoughts on that? Oh, I sure do. So I think that this is not just a sales and marketing conversation now, right? This is a business conversation, the, the entire business strategy. And what I mean by that is that there are a million metrics we could look at, and then there's a million metric combinations we could look at together, right? And those are where we start to get some of our insights. But I think it goes back to the business strategy. Like, what are the key numbers that we could start with that really either impact the business dramatically or lead to some kind of impact? And I have a personal story to tell. When I started my very first business, it was a mail order catalog. And I had so many metrics, average order size, number of pieces ordered, uh, turnaround time, uh, size of customer ordering, employees, at the, I so many pieces I could have looked at. But when I, at the end of the day, the key metric that I determined was the one that really led to success was how many catalogs were requested each week. And when I got down to that number, I knew some of the other metrics, right? But when I got down to that number, that was the leading indicator that indicated or forecasted success 30 days from now. 
So I could start to not only see how are we doing today, but what's going to happen next month and even the month after when I started to look at that. Because, you know, people got a catalog, then they looked at it, then they called and they asked questions, then they got a sample, then they placed their order. But that was the number I drove for so that now I could organize my marketing around how do I get more people to ask for the catalog? So I think that's a business conversation. And then once I have the business catalog, now I can use that as my centerpiece. And then the key metric now, I can look for insights around there. Like, wow, people that order from this part of the country, or sorry, that request the catalog from this part of the country, I get twice as many orders and those orders uh, close twice as fast. Okay, let me direct my marketing to be in those geographic areas because I know I have better success there. So once again, a business conversation around what are the key metrics, maybe a handful, three or four max. And then what are the now metrics that are adjacent or affect that, that I can start to find some insights into what works and what doesn't. Uh, that makes uh, a lot of practical sense. I remember if I didn't have a week where I sent out 400 catalogs, I knew I was going to have a sales slump three or four weeks down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So set up some business related metrics and then back into the supporting metrics accordingly. That's yeah, now let's use a more contemporary example than my old fashioned catalog example, okay? Let's talk about software companies doing demos. Most software companies have direct correlation between how many demos we did and how many uh, subscriptions we had or how many customers we brought on. So a key indicator for a software company is number of demos. So let's start there. Now, what's adjacent to that? Well, how many people needed live demos via how many people watched the recorded demos? And then from the recorded demos and the live, let's segment those two groups and see what their buying patterns are as well. Maybe I realize that they're the same. So then why would I ever do a live demo if the results are the same? My insight might be get my BDR who's doing those uh, demos to now rotate into lead generation to drive more online demos. But I never would know that unless I'm analyzing the data and then relating it back to what the key metrics of the of the company's buyer's journey drivers are, like number of demos. Yep, good advice. Also, you really want to look at the outcomes of the demos because, again, like the demo is not really the end game. The the new software customers are the end game, right? Sure. Well, like you said, let's see what insights we can get. So I'm like, wow. The online demos result in a 53% close rate, but the live demos, they only have a 51% close rate. All right, let's just do, uh, let's just do recorded demos from now on, right? Or at least test it. Right. Yeah. Um, I'll give you another, maybe this is a more granular marketing related example. So if you go into a lot of the marketing automation software, most of them have some pre-established dashboards for you to look at. And in my experience, a lot of clients who use these tools, they don't tend to go in and build their own dashboards. And maybe they don't need to. The, the, the standard dashboards, are a lot of them are pretty good. But those dashboards can be manipulated. So for example, if I hop into HubSpot to take a look at a client's traffic to their website, HubSpot shows me like this month or rolling 30 days, right? There's not a lot you're going to be able to uncover from such a narrow window. So what do I typically do? Well, I typically expand the window to 13 months. Now, wh why would I do that? It's such a long trend to look at. Well, 
First of all, you don't really see any trends when you look at 30 days. I mean, week to week, it's not a long enough window to really see any kind of insightful trends. But when you look at it over a long period of time, the trends tend to pop out pretty dramatically. So if I see a trend going down or I see a trend going up, I can start to dig into it to Eric's point and look at a couple other things to see what might be causing that trend. I also want to look at not only how we're doing this month versus last month, which is certainly interesting, but I want to see how we're doing this month, this year versus this month, last year. Because a lot of companies, while they'll say they don't have seasonality in their businesses, almost everybody has some type of seasonality, even if it's the distraction of the holidays like we're in now, right? I don't care who you are, if you're selling enterprise level anything, you're going to be less busy now than you were in uh, September or May, right? It's just the way things are. People are completely, completely distracted with personal things over the holiday season. So you got to compare this November to last November and this December to last December. And if things are better, then you may be fine just because December's not as good as December. Or no, December is not as good as November. It might have nothing to do with your actual marketing. So you have to kind of slice up and dice up and manipulate the data in a couple different ways with some methodology to your thinking to uncover some of the things you're looking at. When you do see some trends over a longer period of time, you can then dig into that. Well. How's organic doing? Well, that's going up. Okay, so that's not the problem. How's social doing? Okay, that's going up. That's not the problem. How's paid doing? Oh, paid's going down. Wait a minute, that might be the problem, right? Let's dig into paid. Why is paid not performing as well as it was a couple of months ago? This, this, this kind of cycle, or I guess it's more like uh, a hunt, right? It's a hunt for the interesting data is more about what we're talking today. It's not simply looking at a pre-populated dashboard and going, oh, everything's okay, or everything's not okay. You literally have to hunt through the data in a systematic way to try to uncover what might be causing either positive or negative performance. And you want to understand the positive performance just as much as you want to understand the negative performance. Flipping my example on its head, maybe paid is killing it. And I wanna, I wanna know that so I can do more paid, right? Or maybe paid is killing it but it's killing it because I'm overpaying. Like, I got to look at that also. That's not a great scenario. If I'm overpaying for leads, that might not be good. If my cost per acquisition or my lifetime value of this piece of software is not uh, congruent to what I'm paying for these leads, might not be worth it. Even $5,000 a lead might be too much if the software is only $50,000 for the year. So you got to look at all those things and uncover whether these tactics are working out the way you want them to or not. Anything else, sir? No, that was a very good uh, okay. dissertation. Great. So um, this is a question that we got from Janet in San Francisco. How does someone in your organization get good at uncovering these insights? You got a thought on that? It's the same way you get to Carnegie Hall. Practice. Practice. Yeah, I mean, I think it's true. I mean, you really need... This is kind of where the 10,000 hours conversation comes into play. And it's almost like a doctor. And I know I use this metaphor quite frequently, but I just can't get away from it. You know, doctors spend years and years and years and years and years and years and hours and hours and hours and hours practicing. So that they've, it's not like they get good at it, but it's that they've seen every possible scenario and they know how to deal with it. I think that's really what, what a good doctor does is they're like, yep. Yeah, 
saw this before and I treated it like this and it was a positive outcome. So I'm, I'm gonna do that again. And I understand the differences here. So I'm gonna adjust my treatment plan accordingly and, and off we go. And I think good marketers or good ops people who are good at uncovering these insights are those people. They've seen so many scenarios and they've seen so much data that they know how to sift through it and they know how to interpret it, interpret it and they know what to recommend after they see it. Now, unfortunately, there's not really a way to train for this and there's not really a way to, I mean, I guess you could buy someone with a lot of experience, but these data people are getting pretty expensive. Didn't you look into this a while back, Eric? How much would a, like a reasonable data person for a marketing team cost these days? Well, they're in such demand, even entry level was six figures. So call it one hundred dollars to $150,000 for a seasoned data analyst. And if they're not seasoned, like you said, and they don't have their 10,000 hours of practice in, they're not really worth much because they don't know what they're looking for. Yeah. I also think there's an issue when you have someone who's really only been in one industry. I mean, I, again, I don't think they have the breadth of experiences to unpack this for other industries or other kinds of companies. Um, I also think if you've only treated one patient your entire life, you're really only going to be a good doctor for that one patient. You're not going to be a good doctor for a lot, lots of different kinds of patients. And honestly, the companies that we come in contact with, they really are like a human organism. I mean, my experience is every single company we work with is a little different in some way, even when they're in the same industry. They're not managed by the same people. Their expertise, the, the people working in the company are not equal in terms of their abilities and their, their capabilities and their expertise. Sometimes the price points for their services are different. Their products and services might be a little different. They have different positioning if they're doing a good job at it. So you really need to kind of have this base level of understanding and then be able to deploy it accordingly. So, you know, to answer your question, Janet, I mean, it's really just experience. I mean, I, I mean, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, there are data analytic, analytics classes and programs that you could potentially put someone through. And some of them are at pretty high, uh, high level universities. I mean, I guess it couldn't hurt. I don't know how great those classes are. I haven't been through any personally. I don't know anybody who's been through those, but I guess it couldn't hurt. But it's almost oh, like they need to. I know, but that's still just the groundwork, right? It you is. You have to then apply the company information. Like, it is. How would you know 400 catalog requests is the magic number unless you knew about how the company works and what are some of the things that are going on? Like, there's some other stuff going on there that has to be added into the data analytics skills, in my opinion. No, you're, you're right. And we often tell clients, like, to try to, like, lean away from averages, right? Because if you want to Google, you know, uh, you know, average conversion rate for a landing page, average email open rate, average close rate for, for sales, average sales. You can Google all those things and get information, but those averages don't really have anything to do with your company. So I, I guess it's some data point, but I don't think it's the right data point. I think a better approach would be to baseline your own company performance around all these metrics and then just work your ass off to improve them month over month. I think that would be better than working towards some random average that you found on a Google search. Agreed, uh, very and I much. Think that's the, yeah, and I think to your point, that's really the problem with these courses is I feel like they would be very generic and they would be teaching you more about, you know, kind of industry averages across lots of different kinds of companies than it would, you know, how to drive your own specific metrics up and to the right. Yeah. 
Sorry, Janet. I know that's not a great answer to your question, but you could try to hire somebody, like Eric said, if you have the budget for that. Uh, I'm sure someone with that uh, kind of salary would have enough skills to at least have, have a decent impact on your company when you're trying to like dig through the data and uncover insights. Yeah. Um, here's another question. This is, uh, let's skip around the country here. This is from Marty in Vermont. What tools are there that might help us uncover insights in our data more quickly? So I'm pretty sure you have an answer to this question, don't you? Uh, yes, there are several software tools that you, you can look at that will help you uh, sift through the marketing and sales information. There's two kinds. There's uh, visualization, right, dashboards, and then some flexible dashboards called, you know, Tableau, uh, data box, where you can put lots of different feeds together. Well, that'll help you, but it's not, uh, it's only showing you different metrics that you brought in from disparate feeds. The second level would be some kind of analytical tool that will, will look at it. So there's a couple of tools out there. And what happens is when you select the right tool, it's appropriate to marketing, it's appropriate to sales. Now, I don't want this to sound like a sales pitch, but we've created a tool called MaxG. And the reason we created MaxG was for the entire essence of today's conversation, that it's really difficult to go through tools. So the first thing we did when we created this very simple tool is we fed in, what was it, Mike, 600 recommendations or insights that we would normally have. And yep. that came from our seasoned team. They were like, oh, if A happens and it's matched up with B and then C should be this, those are the kinds of things we fed into the artificial intelligence brain. Now what happens is based upon those 600 rules or so, it's using the experience. It's just doing it in two minutes, not two hours. And that was really meant to be a time savers and cut right to the recommendation. So for example, MaxG will give you things like, hey, this landing page isn't being utilized. It should be updated. This subject line in your email didn't perform uh, to industry standards. Take a look at it and so forth and so on. So there are some technology tools out there, MaxG just being one of them. But what you want to do is select a tool that's appropriate for your kind of analysis. I think too many people are just buying more broad analytics tools and hoping they can apply it as opposed to finding the right tool for the right job. Yeah, I think the conversation around AI tools that uncover insights buried in your data is one that we're going to be having more frequently going forward. So I, I mean, we talk about it all the time, how AI is going to replace a lot of the functions we do now so that uh, marketing people can focus on strategy and not tactics so much. Right. I mean, MaxG is just one of them. There are other AI powered tools out there that will also try to do something similar. I looked at one the other day that basically tries to predict your um, percentage of closing a lead. So before it's even gotten to sales, there's, there's some science behind, based on the deals you've already closed, there's some science behind how long and what percentage you, you have to turn this lead into a, a customer before sales has even touched it. So that's, that's pretty interesting. That's very um, interesting. Right. And that, that is only going to increase because the amount of data is not decreasing. The amount of data is increasing. Our, our human, our, our small pea brains in our human heads can only handle so much. And we really need the advanced analytical tools to help us process all this data and kind of point us in the right direction. So I think Eric's right. The, the data visualization tools 
and the AI powered tools are really the tool sets you ought to be looking at. And again, back to Janet's situation, if you're having trouble finding someone who you think can uncover the insights, then I might consider one of the kind of AI powered insights and recommendations engines, regardless of which one it is, to uncover these. Now, again, like constantly repeat this to clients is technology is never the only answer. So you're not just going to license a piece of software for a couple hundred dollars a month and you're done. It's just not going to work like that. But it certainly would be more interesting for a tool like that to give you six things to consider than you having to sift through all the data to uncover those six things anyway, right? It is cutting the curve. It is doing a lot of the heavy lifting and it's kind of giving you served on a silver platter. Hey, you ought to think about these six areas. These seem to be underperforming and you could take it from there. I think that's a much better way to consider uncovering insights and then turning those into actions than maybe you know, trying to teach someone how to do it or hire somebody to do it or, or, or any of the other options. So uh, I think the tools conversation is really interesting. It's only going to get more interesting going forward. And uh, there are a lot of artificial intelligence resources related to marketing that are out there that I think you could also take advantage of to learn more about these kinds of opportunities going forward. I mean, it's also a competitive thing, right? If you could get to the insights faster and then make the adjustments necessary to get better results, you're beating the pants off the competition. So if someone's being cheap and they don't want to invest in the right tool set in order to get those insights to make those improvements, it's great. You're one leg ahead of them. Yeah. No, you have a leg up on them. Uh, yeah. A leg up, leg ahead. Still seems good to me. Yeah. All right. Here's a question from Phil in Texas, how frequently should we be looking at our dashboards to try to uncover these insights? You got a thought on that? Yeah, as often as you possibly can, because you don't want to let things slip by too long. And then, you know, uh, small blips become trends and then trends become all sorts of like uh, tidal waves, if you know what I'm saying. So once again, sorry, boss, I couldn't generate leads today because I was looking at my dashboards for three hours. That doesn't work, right? So it's a matter of, what in the world am I going to do to process or systematize this? So let's say that I look at my dashboards twice a week, Tuesday mornings at nine and Thursday mornings at four o'clock, right? At least I have something built in. It's like our data cleaning conversation. By the way, if we have crappy data, it's going to affect our insights we're getting from these dashboards anyway. So once again, back to clean data. But I think systematizing that, right? Hey, I take the time twice a week for 45 minutes to look at my dashboards, see the things that I noted last week, see if they're improving, and then making a list of to-do items that is going to improve that metric that got red flagged on my data dashboard. I think that that's a big thing. Like, it's too happenstance. I don't know if you know this, Mike, but I always take Wednesday mornings and spend 20 minutes or so cleaning up the CRM from the week before. And then I also am in cover like, oh, uh, here's someone that I didn't follow up with. Wait a minute, this person was supposed to get me this information. So I, by putting it on my calendar, at least there's a backstop that too long doesn't go by before I'm attending to my data set. The data set here being the active deals in the CRM. That makes a lot of sense. I, I think you're 100% correct, but I think there are some things that you want to look at every day. So, you know, I look at the performance of our own marketing pretty much every day. I don't look at everything every day, but I do look at some things that I'm particularly concerned about, or maybe some things that I'm particularly working on improving. And I think, Eric, you're right. You know, that should become a habit. I don't know if you start the day or end the day, but 
there are some things you want to look at daily. Now, that's not a ton of stuff because, again, day-to-day might not be super helpful, but you can look at trend data on a daily basis. So if you're, you know, just to stick with the website visitor uh, data point, if you're trying to improve that, then you really have to make sure that you're trending in the, in the positive direction on a daily basis. If you wait two weeks to look at that, you might not be able to do anything about it in the last two weeks of the month and you might miss your target. If you're looking at it every day, you can kind of see, am I on track? Am I behind? Am I, you know, like I was actually looking at this last month and we started the month really strong and I'm like, what's going on here? And upon further review, I noticed that I was comparing the first two months of November, which were weekdays, to the first two months of October, which were weekends. That's a big difference. We get a lot less visitors on the weekends than we do on the weekdays. You know, on the surface, you might not have noticed that. So you have, and all that, all, all that informed me was, I know I'm not ahead, right? So this, the, the fact that I'm 20% ahead meant nothing to me. I'm like, we're, we're at, we're on par or behind. And it turned out that was correct. So I think there's some things you got to look at daily. There's some things you got to look at weekly. I mean, it doesn't make sense to look at, you know, email campaign performance every day because when you send your email out, you're going to get a big bump. You got to give it a couple more days for it to kind of pan out and, and work its way through the system. And then look at it a couple of days after it's sent out, you get a good picture of how the email performed. That's not the kind of thing you look at every day, I don't think. You know, same thing with social. Like, I don't think looking at social every single day is really going to get you anywhere. I think really you want to aggregate social and say like, okay, what campaigns did we run in the month? And did we do better this month than last month? And then dig into the platforms and what you did on the different platforms and which ones are working and which ones aren't. So um, the short story is you got to set up some rhythms. You got to kind of bucket the metrics in to the right rhythms. Like any sales data, that's not going to be helpful daily either. I don't think. Eric, I'd be interested if you have a different perspective on it, but I almost feel like the sales data too is more going to be more relevant monthly. Sometimes a lot of companies, they don't even close most of their deals to the end of the month. So, you know, looking at it daily or weekly, you're going to have no real good insight into how you're doing till the month closes. And you can see, well, we closed four deals and they all close on the last day of the month because we typically run big incentives at the end of the month and everybody waits for that. So again, back to every company is different. That's a, there's a perfectly good example of how every company is a little bit different, but I do think Eric's right. Set up some rhythms, set up some best practices, stick to it. And that will also accelerate whoever's doing this for your company. That will accelerate their expertise because they're doing this on a regular basis. And then give them the time to do it. If you keep piling additional stuff on their plate, this is going to fall off because, you know, this doesn't look a lot of marketers get measured on activity, not, not on metrics and performance. So you know, asking them to do this, if this isn't part of how you're measuring them, they're going to fall back on activity. When it, when it comes back to, did you look at the metrics? No, but I got three email campaigns out and I changed uh, all of our website pages and I published a new this and I, you know, they, they did all those other things and the metric stuff fell off because they didn't really have time to get back to that. So prioritize it and give them the time to work on that. It might be the most important thing they're actually working on. I just wanted to take a moment and talk about alerts for a second. You know, some of those dashboards will give you the ability to set alerts. And the reason I say that is because when unusual things are happening in your data set, you want to be on top of that right away. A good example would be, hey, 
alert me if my website traffic goes up more than 15% compared to a traditional day or a traditional Wednesday, right? Now, all of a sudden, I get an alert. I take a few minutes. I toggle over. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Oh, wow. We got a public relations mention online. Someone said that, and that drove a lot of traffic to our website. Great. I want to be able to jump on that right away, thank the people who mentioned us, put out a press release of my own, post something to my blog right away to keep that momentum going. So alerts are a handy tool to figure out. Now, alerts can go the other way too. Alert me when website traffic is down 15%. That could be simply like Comcast was out. What was that, like two weeks ago for a couple of hours? But at yeah. least I can, I can explain it away why all of a sudden this is happening. So alerts might be a good way also to uh, wake you up that this needs attention as opposed to waiting for the next session. Good point. Let's do another question. This is Judy from Toronto. So her question is, can you give us some examples of how insights contributed to an action plan and what the action plan might look like? Do you have some suggestions for her on that? Uh, there was a webinar recently that was very interesting. One of our clients was doing a webinar and um, it was number of people attended was the metric. But then there was a big jump in the, um, in the amount of people that wanted to talk after the webinar. And when we looked at it, it's because it was a new offer that we had put in at the end of the webinar. So uh, the insight there was that, oh, sorry. And the offer was more of a middle of the journey, not an end of journey. What I mean by that is end of journey is, hey, would you like to talk to a salesperson? Middle of funnel was more like, hey, would you like us to analyze your XYZ? By changing that offer, the insight that was provided was, ah, we should have more middle of the journey offers to start the sales conversations, not end of journey offers. And that was a simple example. But if you didn't take the time to look at the 106 people that attended the webinar and how many of those then matched up to people that requested sales conversations, you never would have, you would have glossed right over it. Yeah, that's a really good example. And I think there's kind of like an ancillary conversation here around testing and experiments also, because you may look at the data and think you see something and it really, you have to prove it, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You have to run some additional tests to see if you can recreate the data or improve the data based on what you're doing. Like a lot of people think we ran a campaign and it didn't work. Uh, woe is me. And I look at it and I say, you ran a campaign and it didn't work. Well, you learned what didn't work. Don't do that again. And you know, I, I think a lot of people in some organizations are afraid to have an unsuccessful campaign because they might get in trouble. Um, and I think that's not the right environment to, to, to be productive in today's marketing. It should be like, let's run a campaign based on solid data and let's see how it does. If it works, great, we can do more of them. If it doesn't work, great, we learned what not to do again. And it's not that we'll never do a campaign like that again, but we'll have to make some changes to the campaign and do it differently the next time and see how it does. Honestly, sales is no different, right? You have a sales process, you have um, data associated with your sales process. We had a prospect it actually turned into a client a couple of years ago. They were talking about their funnel and they had a giant back a giant like bubble in the middle of their funnel so they had generated all these leads that were what they called sales opportunities and none of them were closing and 
you know, we, 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 it, they identified it themselves, but we identified it also. We're like, well, we should talk about this. Like, how do we burst the bubble and get these to flow through the sales and be customers? And the, the client really actually wasn't even interested in talking about, it. they just wanted more leads. So, you know, there's an example of where you have to kind of look at the data and be like, okay, this is, this might not be my specific responsibility, but this is an issue for the company. We got to talk about it and find a way to move these people who are looking like sales opportunities through the sales organization and turn it into revenue. I don't, I don't know what exactly that would be, but different conversations, different tools, different motions by the sales team, different messaging. I don't know. Maybe their contract is holding everything up because they're a simple solution and they deliver a 22-page legal contract. I don't know. We see that kind of stuff all the time. but. That's the kind of stuff that I think you want to try to uncover and then tr try to work on in a, a, a kind of like an experimental lab type way, you know, and, and get everyone in the company to understand that this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be running a series of experiments until we find the ones that work and we're going to double down on those and we'll keep trying new things and see whether those work. Some of them are going to work. Some of them are not going to work, but we should be able to identify where and, and how they didn't work. And that's probably the most frustrating part of what marketing looks like today is sometimes it's really hard to tell, even for us, like what the root cause was of something that didn't work. And we're pretty honest with our clients. We don't have a thousand batting average, like everything we do doesn't work. No, no one has a thousand point batting average. Um, I'd like to think we're better than most, but you, you, you have to be able to take those things that didn't work and uncover why and just make sure you don't do it again. Agreed. Kind of hard when everybody's under pressure. It, it is. And again, I think that really comes down to the leadership. So if you are CEO listening to this and you know, you're not letting someone fail, that might be something to consider. Okay, let's talk a little bit about platforms because when we talked about the, the tools for insights, but there, there are a lot of solutions out there that definitely help in this area. So Let's do a little juxtaposition between something like HubSpot or Marketo and Pardot and the individual solutions like Google Analytics or SEM Rush or Vidyard. How, how would that play out? So if, if our listeners or watchers have a bunch of different solutions versus a platform, I mean, I guess you could say the same thing around, you know, our website's on WordPress, but we're using HubSpot. How does, how does that technical configuration play into uncovering insights and driving an action plan? Well, I see this quite often. Our, our uh, website is on uh, WordPress. Our sales team uses Salesforce, but we use the marketing hub in HubSpot for our marketing. And I always think to myself, why? Why would someone choose three when they can choose one? And by one, I'm using HubSpot as an example. Our listeners know that it's our favorite tool. But it seems to me that it's so simple when you aggregate all of the places where the data is coming from so that it can be in one central collection area, and then you can set up the data analysis any way you want to. And I'll use my favorite example of QuickBooks. When you use QuickBooks, the software for accounting, it has all sorts of modules inventory, cash, accounts receivable, accounts payable, all of those things are baked into one tool. And then when you're running your analytics for QuickBooks, you can see things like current ratio. What is my obligations versus my assets? 
And there it is, a great metric that you can look at in real time because this, the tool is set up to automatically gather the data from all those areas. And I never understand why people are using all sorts of tech stacks. And I don't, under, I don't mean the um, tools that are specific to a function, but I'm talking about trying to put together all sorts of tools and then try to get the data feeds to work on all of them and then try to match up the data so that you can get the insights. I never understand that. If it was me, I'm sorry, it is me. And if I own a company, I'm like, yeah, we're using one tool and we're gonna make it simple. If the tool has some limitations here or there, I'm willing to subordinate that challenge to get the whole or the 92% picture that's being generated to me through data visualization on the one platform. So I'm a big fan of making it simple, putting it together and, 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 and using that as a starting point. And the reason I say that is because 90% of the people that are, running businesses, and I'm talking about middle market that don't have an unlimited marketing budget or a gigantic team to help them, they're, they're relatively unsophisticated. So why make more sophistication on top of an unsophisticated problem? Just get the basic blocking and tackling down with gathering the data from your singular platform, and then from there, start to build off of it. Now, you mentioned something like Vidyard, right? So Vidyard is a great tool and I can get a lot of my metrics and activity levels from my video programs with Vidyard. But, you know, is my video watch time going to be mission critical to driving sales for my company? I'm not sure. But the amount of leads I generated to how many of those leads turn into sales opportunities and what my close rate is, those are way more mission critical and they come resident in any uh, decent platform. So that's my like opinion on using platforms rather versus disparate uh, uh, tool sets. That makes a lot of sense. I think there's really two use cases that we generally see. One, they kind of grew up with these point solutions, so they're used to them. You know, we got a website. Someone put Google Analytics on it. We kind of use it, but you know, whatever. That's our analytical platform for our website. We, we needed a website, it needed to be put on a CMS, so we put it on WordPress. We're comfortable with WordPress, it's free. A lot of WordPress uh, sites are free. Um, you know, not broke, don't fix it, right? So they, they may have just a collection of tools that they've accumulated over the years. And I, by, by years, I mean like the last few years because this whole industry is nascent anyway. I mean, no one really is deep into the marketing and sales technology space, at least not in middle and small business, that's for sure. So, you know, they're, they're comfortable with them and switching, even if it makes sense, logically, like you just described, might be a little uncomfortable for them. I think the other use case is, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. And again, I think that's also just because they're new to all this. I think over time, the platform approach is, is going to win out. And eventually these companies that are either nervous to put all their eggs in one basket or nervous to switch from the tools that they've been using are gonna bite the bullet and they're gonna to wanna to find a platform because it's just easier, it's more efficient, it's probably more cost-effective. You know, you think you're saving money, but you're really not. I mean, how many WordPress websites have we seen that have security holes in it because they're using the free tool and they haven't upgraded their plugins or they haven't upgraded the security patches? How about um, just the simple task management of toggling between WordPress, HubSpot, right. and Salesforce? Right, right. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that makes sense. And there's data in different systems. And even when we look at Google Analytics data versus HubSpot data, it's different. 
you know, and sometimes we have to explain it to the client, but you know, it's all, and it's not different in any kind of dramatic way. It's different in real small ways to your point that don't really matter, um, you know, uh, in any significant way. So, you know, if I'm reporting 800 sessions and HubSpot's reporting 805 sessions, like what difference does it make, right? So I think that's also interesting. Like it just doesn't matter at that point. If it was 100 and 1,000, I could see how that would be a problem, but it's generally, it's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it's just, you know, our industry around technology is learning and they're just starting to get comfortable. And I'd like to think we're part of the solution terms of introducing ideas like this to them and helping them get comfortable and helping them get set up, helping them use it. And then as you always like to say, uh, let them fly from the nest and, and be on their own because they have the proper tech stack to, to really influence sales and marketing in a positive way. Well said. Thank you. And with that, I think it's a good time to wrap up. We handled all our questions. I really appreciate the questions everyone has submitted. Thank you very much, Janet. I forget everybody else's name. Larry. Uh, Judy, Larry, yeah, thank you all for your questions. I really appreciate it. Um, next Wednesday, we're going to be talking about the sales process. Eric, I know this is a favorite topic of yours, but what's wrong with revenue? It actually might be your sales process. I mean, we do run into this pretty frequently with prospects and clients that we talk to. They think they're good to go, but when we start kind of scratching around the sales process, um, they are just not anywhere close to where they need to be. And we need to make sure that that is a highly functioning part of their business. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be a really great session. And in the meantime, if you've subscribed to this, you'll pick up in your inbox an email with the latest show for you to take a look at at your leisure. Take a look at the show on YouTube. Check it out on podcast platforms near you. All your favorite podcast platforms host What's Wrong With Revenue. And if you want to get to it quickly, just head over to the Square Two Marketing website, go down to the footer and click on the What's Wrong With Revenue. Every single episode is there for your perusal. And you can also submit any questions at any time, which Eric and I will be happy to handle for you. Thank you so much. Have a really great rest of your Wednesday. And we'll see you all right back here next Wednesday at four o'clock. Thanks. Have a great day. <laughs>